We are continuing our series entitled Living Abundantly. We started it a couple weeks ago. And in John chapter 10, Jesus told us about the kind of life that he wants to give to those who follow him. He said this in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And we, so many times we read that verse and we talk about it and we think about it. And we don't think about what that abundant life really means. And there are many people that will interpret that and say that just means that I'll have everything I want, that I'll have plenty of money and I'll have lots of possessions. And other people will, will come will define it a different way. But, but, but the reality is Jesus came and he said that we would have a full and abundant life. And that abundant life, however, comes only through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that it's in Galatians chapter 5 that Paul gives us a list of the characteristics that mark the life dominated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So if you want to talk about an abundant life, it can't be have anything to do with the possessions that I own because there are people in this world who follow Christ who have nothing and yet they have a full life, a full life of joy and peace and hope and all of the things that we long for. And so we see what the abundant life looks like that Jesus promised in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you have a life, uh, if your life is filled with all of those things, I guarantee you, you are living a full and abundant life. And so we've already talked in the previous weeks, we talked about love and how that love is not just an emotion that we feel, but it's an action that we take. And last week we talked about joy. And, you know, I couldn't help but notice a lot of the words we were singing this morning. It really, it really is the definition of joy because it was talking about how that in spite of circumstances, I will worship you. That's joy. That says joy is, 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 is not based on the circumstances and, and events that are going on around me. My joy is in Him, so I will worship Him no matter what. And, and, and because my joy is rooted in Him, that means my joy can never be stolen from me because no one can steal Him from me. That's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to talk about something that is desperately, desperately needed in our culture and in our society today. That is peace. Peace. I'm going to ask you to turn over to John chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. And uh, this is what it says. John writes this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus is speaking here, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, what is it? That he has said. What is it all that he has said? Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I read that and there's a couple of questions that come to my mind. How does the world give? Well, the world gives partially. The world gives what it can afford. The world gives what is left over. The world gives what it doesn't really want anyway. The world gives what it wants to give and, and not what you need. But how does God give? God gives fully. God gives without limitations. God gives thoroughly. God gives with respect to your needs, not out of his own need. God gives without being stingy. God gives generously. God gives openly. And Jesus said, I'm giving you this peace, not as the world gives, but I'm giving you peace giving peace to you fully and completely, thoroughly, and in the way that you need it so that your heart will not be troubled. All right, let's, let's just place your hands on your Bible and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we search right now through our hearts to find anything that might obstruct your word or your will or your way in our lives. And, and God, we just pray that it would be removed, that we'd set that aside. And we pray, God, that you would overwhelm every resistance, every every prejudicial barrier, uh, every hindrance, tear down any stronghold in our lives that would keep us from hearing what you have to say to us today. Break down any wall of resistance that might inhibit the flow and the power of the Holy Spirit in our minds. But, but, but God, I pray that you would speak to us in our innermost being. Speak to us deep within. And I'm asking God that you would minister by your power today. And Lord, I know if I preach under my own power, 
it will be of no avail. But if you anoint me, if you anoint these words, then it will go forth in power. And I believe you for this, and I thank you for it in advance. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Some of you are old enough to remember the time uh, of what was called the peace movement. You remember that? You'll remember the, all the, they remember the peace symbol that was, as it was called, an upside down cross with its arms broken inside of a circle. And, and you may remember the, the vast marches. Anybody remember some of these things? And you're, you're old enough to admit that. You remember these things. You remember the flower children? Remember the flower children with their beads and their guitars and their bare feet and their bell-bottom jeans, bringing uh, peace to, hoping to bring peace to earth. And, and, and of course, if you do, you'll also remember some of the massive student strikes for peace at many of the country's universities, like one that happened in the University of Maryland. And on the day of the student strike for peace, they burned the administration building down. And, and they caused a campus-wide fight and forced the authorities to call out the National Guard and gunshots were exchanged and tear gas was deployed. And when one hears about that, and that was just not an isolated incident that happened all over the nation, when one hears about that, it makes one realize that it wasn't about peace. It had nothing to do with peace. It was just another way to make war. It had all the trappings of nonviolence, but it was just as violent as anything else that was going on. You think about World War I. Anybody remember what World War I was supposed to be? It was supposed to be the war to end all wars. We're never going to have war again after World War I. Of course, we've had the most turbulent, war-stricken era in, the, in world history, uh, including an, another world war, the Korean War, Vietnam, the Gulf War, the invasion of Afghanistan, and the Iraqi War. And that's just to speak of our own country, let alone the planet, which, which there have been wars raging all over the, all over the world. There, there's so much talk about peace. But the reality is we live in a turbulent and anxiety-ridden world, don't we? Not only is there no world peace, no national peace, no geo geopolitical peace, but there is very little peace internally in the hearts of people. I have never in my life, in, in all the years I've been in ministry, which I haven't taken time to figure out that because it's hard to count that high, but uh, I've never in my life experienced a time of such deep, personal anxiety in the lives of the people with whom I interact. I've never counseled with people that are hurting so deeply. I've never counseled with men that are so filled with fear in their, in their lives. I've never counseled with couples whose marriages are so riddled with anxiety and doubt and unbelief, and they're just struggling. I've never seen a generation of American teenagers so bent on self-destruction. Did you know that murder and suicide are the second and third leading causes of death among teenagers only behind accidents? There is no peace. Something is wrong. There, there's some hidden trouble. And I, and I don't mean trouble in the way of some minor circumstantial difficulty. There is a deep underlying trouble in the world. We live in a troubled world and among a people with a troubled spirit. What then does Jesus mean when he says, my gift to you is peace, not peace like the world can give? What is the peace of God? I, 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 Jesus said, I came that, that, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And, and, and how can I say that I have abundant life if I have piles and piles of things, toys and cars and video equipment and houses and land and money and all of those things. And yet my inner soul is so torn up that I'm living on soda crackers and Maylocks just to survive. How can I say that I have the abundant life if I wear a Rolex, Rolex on my watch, uh, Rolex watch on my wrist and I wear a thousand dollar suit and drive a luxury car, but I'm contemplating suicide 24 hours a day? Jesus said, I came that they may have a life. I came to give them a fullness in life that transcends circumstances and situations. And the, this fruit that we're talking about today, a peace, is, is the most unique in, of all the fruit of the Spirit that Paul listed. This one is different than all of the others. Why do, I, why do I say that? It's because each of the others has some kind of action that springs from it. That is to say, 
Love is something that I can do. I can choose to love you. We've learned that uh, with joy. I can choose to rejoice in the Lord my God. Uh, I, I can be more patient. I can be kinder. I can have self-control. But peace is different because peace is a state of being. Peace is a state of heart. It's an inner inner thing. Peace is something that is ministered to me. That, that, that's true of all of the fruit of the Spirit. But with peace, I see it much more clearly. Peace is something that God ministers to me. I, I cannot manufacture it. I cannot create it. And if I attempt to do so, I end up with nothing. So let's begin by asking ourselves, what is the definition of the peace of God? Look at Philippians 4, 7, if you will. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses of scripture. I, I don't know how many times in my life I've quoted that verse uh, because of situations that were trying to come in and I was beginning to worry and I was beginning to get anxious about things. And I began to, to quote that verse to myself to remind me that I have the peace of God in me and that guards my heart and my mind. But here in this verse, we see three key insights into the definition of the peace of God. The first thing is that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. That, that is to say, God's peace has nothing to do with circumstances or situations that can be understood or comprehended. If I can understand it, if we can comprehend it, if, if we can see why we have peace, then it is not the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's something beyond that. In other words, God's peace is something that I can have when no one under, can understand how I could have peace. When, when, when it would seem impossible to have peace, when, when I experience that peace in my life, then I know that is the peace of God. God's peace is a peace that goes beyond any of the situations and circumstances of my life. The second thing is, it is the peace of God which guards your heart and your mind. So God's peace has, has a quality of preservation and protection to it. The peace of God guards and keeps us. It, it, it is a peace that I do not constantly have to hold to or cling to because it clings to and holds to me. God, God's peace has a quality of protection. And then finally, you'll see in the latter part of the verse, God's peace comes through Jesus Christ. The, the key to understanding the abundance of peace in our, in our lives is through understanding that peace is of, in, through, and by Jesus Christ, and in no other way. There's no other way to get it. There's no other way to have peace of, the peace of God in your life because peace has a relationship to the character of God. We cannot understand the peace that God wants to bring into our lives until we understand that it has something to do with the very character of God himself. In, in Isaiah 26, 3, it says that God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Now that will only work if God is the God of peace. In Hebrews 13, 20, it says that God is the God of peace. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, 33, it says that God is the author of peace. In Hebrews 7, 2, it says that he is the king of peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says that Jesus is the prince of peace. You begin to see that peace is at the very center of who God is. In other words, think of it like this. We can't imagine God pacing the floor up in heaven saying, oh, 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 what am I going to do? We, we can't imagine God like that. Oh, the angels. Oh, they're just driving me loony. You know? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do about Satan. I don't know what to do about the world. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know what to do about Hoskins. Look at him down there trying to pastor that church. You, you, you just don't, you don't see God as, as someone shouting, somebody bring me a pill. Right? You, you, don't, you don't think about God shouting out, oh, where's the God therapist? I need to talk to somebody about this. I need to deal with this. I'm so upset and anxious. We, we can't even imagine God saying, maybe I just need to, to get, get, need a nap. I need to get some rest. I need it so I can figure out what to do with this mess. I, I need a vacation or something. We just can't imagine God even, uh, even, even beginning to think of a God like that. No, we can't imagine such a thing because we see God as being at rest within himself. He is a God of peace. He is, that is who he is. It's in his very character. We understand 
the reality that, that God doesn't need anything to make him rest. We understand that he is at peace, that he is a God of peace, infinite, un unsearchable, unchangeable, undiluted, unalloyed peace. We, we see that God himself is the source, the fountain, the author, the king, and the prince of peace. Therefore, the kingdom over which he rules should have the character and nature of the king, and the principality over which he reigns as prince should be the principality of peace. So, what is the counterfeit? In the flesh, for every for every reality of these fruit of the spirit that brings us uh, into the abundant life, I I believe there's also a counterfeit in the flesh. Now, why is that? Well, because the powers of evil do not want you to show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And if if Satan can get can keep you from getting saved, he will. If he can't keep you from getting saved, he'll try to keep you from getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If he can't keep you from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then he will with single-minded determination try to keep you from showing forth the character and nature of life in the Spirit. If he can diminish your testimony in any way whatsoever, if he can cause you to settle for a counterfeit in any area of your life, then the abundance of life in, inside of you is diminished to that extent, to, to that extent, you're brought down and, and the fullness of the character and the nature of God is not revealed to you to that extent. Therefore, Satan, in a way, has won a victory, at least to that extent. Therefore, we need to be able to identify what the counterfeit of the flesh is for real peace, for the real peace of God. And one of those counterfeits is self-confidence. Self-confidence often parades itself as peace. The person who says, I am absolutely certain that I can accomplish this, we can look at them and say, wow, they're really at peace with themselves. They say, I'm absolutely certain of victory. I can do anything. I can pass any test. I can master any athletic event. I'm fully confident in myself that I can do anything. That, that person is not resting in true peace because what he's really doing is setting himself, himself up for failure. What if he doesn't pass the test? What if he doesn't pass the course? What if he doesn't master the athletic event? What if he doesn't make the team? Well, then his self-confidence is a counterfeit that parades itself as peace. Secondly, there, there is a counterfeit peace that is an induced extra-personal peace that may be brought about by drugs, alcohol, relationships, events, circumstances, and momentary victories. If, if you'll turn back to the Old Testament, I want to show you a fascinating passage of Scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 57. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. For I will not accuse you forever and I will not always be angry for then the spirit would grow weak before me, even the breath of man which I have made. Because of, of his sinful greed, I was angry, so I struck him. I was angry and hid, but he went on turning back to the desires of his heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating words of praise. The Lord says, peace, peace to the one who is far or near, and I will heal him. Peace. Peace to the one who is far. God, God is saying, yes, you're enduring the, 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 the pain and the punishment and the disappointment and the hurt and the woundedness of living a sinful life. Yes, these things have cut you off from my blessing. Yes, your life was, has been diminished. Yet, yeah, but, but he says, but I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to have the fullness of love. I want you to know joy. I want you to have peace. And, and look at how he repeats it. It's almost as if God was shouting, peace, peace to you. Peace to those who are far off. As if he, as if he wants the wayward prodigal in the far country to hear, come back, I've got peace for you. Peace to the one that is far. Peace to the one that will repent. Peace, peace to the one who is far or near, and I will heal, heal him. Peace. You, did you know that some of the best-selling prescription drugs in America today are those that deal with our lack of peace? It's true. It's people trying to find peace in a pill. And I'm not knocking anybody that, that needs to take medication or, or that sort of thing. But, 
But, but that's what we do. We take drugs to deal with our lack of peace. We are dysfunctional because of our lack of peace. We live in a state of ongoing anxiety. Our nation lives in a sense of being on the verge of a nervous breakdown. It's what it feels like. It feels like our nation is just on the verge of a nervous breakdown all the time. But listen to the voice of God. If you repent, he says, on your, on your, of your wayward ways, if you repent of your sins and re- return to me, I'm going to give you peace. That's what he says. But there is a however in the passage. Look at verse 20. But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its waters churn up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. God describes the life of the wicked like a storm-tossed sea, a raging sea. You can, you can see it crashing against the shore and stirring up the silt and stirring up the trash and the garbage. Don't, don't you know people who live their lives like that? Maybe your life has been like that in the past. And maybe your life, maybe your life is even like that now. You, you feel that raging, foaming, storm-tossed sea that just keeps on drudging up the filth and drudging up the muck and drudging up the mire and just swirling it all about. And there's no rest. There's no calmness. Your life is unproductive, unyielded, with no peace at all. And God says that, that, that there is an induced counterfeit peace that can be ours by turning to the things that the world offers, things like drugs or alcohol. But he says to us, that peace can never last. It can never last. Why does somebody take drugs? It's not just for the momentary rush. I can tell you that. Why do they take drugs? People take drugs and they get addicted to drugs because it lends a sense of calmness and peace and makes them feel as if they can handle life. It lets them escape for a little while. There are people who go from one relationship to the next seeking a sense of peace and a sense of calmness in their life. The woman who says to herself, surely if I can just find some man to put his arm around me, to hold me close, to to tell me that he loves me, to be my lover, my friend and my companion, then I'll finally have some peace. But it never works. It never works. And so she thinks, she, instead of saying, I did the wrong thing, she thinks, I got the wrong man. And so what does she do? She goes on to the next man. But then she finds out the next man was also the wrong man. And then the next man was the wrong man. Then the next man was the wrong man. But there's no peace in that life. Instead, life becomes more and more storm-tossed. It becomes more and more filled with anxiety. And it continues to dredge up and the, all of the muck and the mire. The passage that we just read from Isaiah teaches clearly that that the peace that heals is ours through a contrite heart offered up to God. But, But following the way of the flesh and the world, pursuing the things that we hope to use to induce peace in our lives, we continue to have a lack of peace. If you just turn back to the New Testament now, Romans chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, says, Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The world, the flesh, and the devil, and I want to state this categorically. The world, the flesh, and the devil cannot bring enduring peace. You can fill fill your life up with, with, with relationships, with people, with money, with toys, with drugs, with alcohol, with all the things in the world. But that is a cheap plastic counterfeit that cannot endure. It cannot endure. Because, well, for one thing, think about it like this. If, if I'm finding my peace in getting new things, guess what? They're not always new, are they? Eventually, they get, you get old, they get tired. You, you find a little peace and contentment because you got the biggest TV on the, on the block. And then they come out with a bigger one and your neighbor gets a bigger one and all of a sudden your peace is gone. It is, it is a plastic uh, counterfeit that cannot endure. If you're trusting in that which you own, in that which you possess, in your talent or in any other human relationship to bring you enduring peace, then mark this. Here's the question you have to answer. What will become of you when it is gone? You will have no peace. Guys, if you're trusting in your bank account, 
or in your business or in your financial success, then you know what? When your wife is leaving you and your teenage children are on drugs and the world around you seems to be collapsing around your ears, then what what I want you to do is go out in the garage and kneel before your B&W and pray for peace. And I'm here to tell you, no one will answer. Those things cannot help us. They cannot lift us up in any way. Men here that are trusting in the gods of leisure and pleasure. If you think that you could just spend another out in the fishing boat, if I could just spend another hour out in the deer stand, if I could just play another round of golf, then that will give me peace. But but I want to say this, on the night that your wife comes home and tells you, I'm dying, the doctor has told me that I have uterine cancer and I have six months to live, I'm dying, and you're overcome with grief and fear and anxiety and doubt, and you don't know what your future is going to hold, then I want you to go out into your garage and put your hands on your Evan Rood and pray for peace. Those gods are mute. They don't answer. We cannot induce peace into our lives from the outside because real peace is a fruit only of the Holy Spirit. How do I detect the lack of peace in my life? Well, that seems like a silly question because on the surface, we say, well, one, you know, it, it, you, you'd say, well, a person without peace, with no peace, is just going to be full of worry. They're going to be full of anxiety and doubt and concern and fear. But, and that's true, but that's really only a surface answer because there are other ways in which we can, we actually hide ourselves. We, we actually camouflage our own lack of peace from our own eyes. And, and here's some ways we can detect a lack of peace. People without the peace of God become manipulative, controlling, and domineering. They become manipulative, controlling, and domineering. Why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because they cannot trust God to run their own lives. So how in the world can they trust God to run anybody else's life? They can't trust God to deal with their issues in their own life. So how can I possibly trust God to deal with your issues? Therefore, I'm not going to have any peace over that. So I'm going to try to manipulate you and work the circumstances and make things happen. And I'll become a manipulative, controlling and domineering person. And it stems from this lack of peace. So 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 that person continues to manipulate and domineer and twist things in order to get his or her own way. But I'm here to tell you the real mark of a person with peace, uh, with the peace of God is that they have faith to believe not only for their own lives, but also for the lives of others with whom they have relationships. I have the peace of God. When not only do I trust him with my salvation, but when I can trust him to work in my daughters. People with the peace of God know how to let go and let God. And this is the hardest lesson in the world for most people, but it is a fruit of peace. There's a, a man named Claude Smithmeyer. He used to pastor a church in Georgia. But he told a story about a woman who came to him from, with a problem. And the woman had a, had a house that was kind of separated from the main road by a deep ditch, almost a small ravine. And uh, there was a bridge that went out to her house and the, and the bridge collapsed. And she said that the county had said that they were not going to repair it and the state wouldn't repair it. And, and they were just telling her it was her problem. And so she, she couldn't even reach her house. She had to park her car by the side of the road, by the side of the highway, scramble down the bank, go, uh, go through the muddy ditch and then up on the other side. And, and, and they wouldn't repair it. The government wouldn't repair it. And she said, she said to the pastor, she said, you know, my, my car is going to get hit parked out there on the side of the road. It, 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 it was an awful situation. She was, she was hiring lawyers and she was entering into lawsuits. And she, she said to this pastor, Pastor Smithmeyer, she said, I, I want to know if you'll help me. I want you to help me win this lawsuit. He said, ma'am, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I know nothing about it. I cannot help you win a lawsuit. I'm the pastor of this church. And he said, but I will help you with the most important thing. And the most important thing is not whether that bridge is repaired or not. He said, the most important thing is whether your heart gets repaired or not. He said, you've lost your peace. He, he said, you're not going to get this thing repaired 
until you let go and let God really let go and let God. Well, she was just furious with him because she didn't want anybody to, to deal with any issues going on with her. She just wanted him to do what she wanted him to do. And, and she said, how can I let go and let God? I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray and God won't handle it. He said, he, and he said to her, listen to this great wisdom. He said, God will not put his hand to anything where your hand is already on the hand. I'll say it again. God will not put his hand to anything where your hand is already the handle. If you want to handle it, God will let you. If you want to struggle with it, God will say, fine, struggle with it. I found that to be true in my life over and over and over again. Anxiety, doubt. I, I struggle with things twisted all around. Try to get the knots out. And God says, fine, fine, go ahead. Do what you want to do. And until I get to the point where I, you finally say, okay, I quit, God. I quit. I give up. And God says, good. Well, this, this woman finally, after a time of talking with her pastor, finally, she just gave it over to the Lord. And right there in her pastor's office, she prayed through and she gave it to God. And, and she lived six months, six months with that broken down bridge. For six months, she had to park her car out on the shoulder of the highway, scram scramble down through that ditch and go over to her house. Six months of living like that. Well, she came back to Pather Smithmeyer about at the end of six months and she said, you know, I hope they never repair that bridge. He, she said, this is the happiest time of my whole life. Every time I see that ruined and fallen bridge, I just rejoice because I love the peace of God in my heart. And, and, and Pastor Smithmeyer looked at her and she said, and he said, now the peace of God is really in control. What's kind of funny is that she called him the next morning at 10 o'clock in the morning after six months. And she said, something awful is happening. They're repairing my bridge. It's, it's kind of, we just never happy, are we? There's a young man who used to go fishing with his, with his dad and they'd go out early in the morning and they'd cast out, cast out in their fishing boat and they'd settle in, in under some tree branches and the little boy had his own rod and reel and, and every now and then he'd, he'd get it hung up in the tree limbs overhead. I remember doing those kind of things when I was a kid. One time I got it hung up in my brother. <laughs> that was a different thing. I was like, why won't it come? And brothers and back going, ah, hey, ah. But that's a different story altogether. But anyway, he, every once in a while he'd get it hung up in there and then he would just jerk and pull at that rod and reel, you know, and, and just, and just get into a real mess until finally the reel would be all snarled up and the line would be tangled up in the tree and, this little boy's dad, he was just so patient and so wise. When, he, the, when his son was just doing all this stuff and fighting, you know, he, would just, he just kept on fishing, acting, acting like nothing was going on. Little boy just, I mean, he was about to turn the boat over. He was jerking so hard on the line, and, and his daddy would never say a word. He just kept on fishing. Well, finally, after a little while, the little boy looked up at his dad and said, Daddy, I can't do this. Do you know what that, that, what his daddy would say? Every time that happened, he'd say, you know, I was hoping you'd ask me. I'd rather fish with yours. You've got a better rod and reel than I do. Why don't you fish with mine and I'll work with yours? And that little boy would take his daddy's rod and reel and he had the feeling that he had done his dad a big favor. Well, what a great father that is, isn't it? But is God any less? God says... Why don't you take mine and let me fish with yours? God says, why don't you take my peace and I'll take your troubles? That's the God we serve. We, we, and yet we grab our petty anxieties and we scream, mine, mine! On the face of divine providence, in the face of what he's trying to do. God says that he wants to set us free from this manipulative worry-filled, anxiety-ridden life, and He wants to give us abundant life. Well, what's the damage that's done in our lives by lack of peace? Well, we become angrier. We become more and more critical. We become oppressive and tyrannical. 
relationships dry up and die because there's no liberty where there's no peace. We suffer physically when we lose our peace. Depression begins to cloud our lives and, 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 and we cannot act when we have no peace. What we do is we fall to the paralysis of analysis. Every time we think of doing something, it just looks wrong. We have no peace about it, so we don't do anything. We fall into lethargy and finally we fall into self-pity, which will destroy us. But what are the results of peace in my life? Well, first, peace restores perspective. Peace restores perspective. How wonderful when when God manages to get us back from the thing that is causing us all of this turmoil and anxiety and fear and unbelief. And we're just filled with all of this this churning emotion. And and then we finally get back from it and we rest on the lap of our Father God. And and when we do that, we, we, we finally see that what we were doing is we were making mountains out of molehills all along. We see that that this was in the perfect plan and will of God. We see in that moment, we see that God can handle it. Peace restores perspective. Perspective then restores balance, and balance brings the quiet confidence that leads onward to maturity. Perspective gives balance. Balance brings quiet confidence, and that leads to maturity. We, we will not grow in the maturity of abundant living until we grow in the peace of God. What, what are the results of peace in the lives of others? Well, first of all, we're able to give a firm witness of who God really is. When I'm filled with doubt and anxiety, how can I tell others about the God of peace? When people see me consumed with worry and doubt and anxiety, how in the world can I turn to them and say, hey, let me tell you about the God of peace because they're looking at my life and saying, if that's your God of peace, I've already got that. Peace allows me to empower others by strengthening their faith when their peace is threatened. When somebody else is struggling with peace and they're struggling with anxiety, when they look at my life and they see that I am living in the peace of God, it encourages them to to realize, man, I can have that too. I can walk in that too. I'm able to give calm wisdom as a result of that. You know, a person who's given to hasty action, to, to tumultuous responses, that person is not to be trusted for wise counsel. Let me just give you, give you a hint for happy living here, okay? Listen, if, if you have a friend that every time they get shorted a tater tot on their order at Sonic, they want to give, and in the spur of the moment, that, that the, uh, the uh, car hop a piece of their mind, do not go to that person for advice on what to do in anything, okay? Just, just trust me on this because they're going to tell you to do something that's going to be foolish because they're always wanting to jump in and do something and, 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 and there's no calm wisdom involved. Don't go to that person. Always seek counsel from those who have the peace of God because they're not going to be careening off the wall. They're not going to give you a knee jerk reaction. They're going to speak out of the peace that God has put in their lives. They, they won't plunge hastily and foolishly into action. You know, I think of it like this, uh, Dr. Rutland, Dr. Mark Rutland, who I studied under uh, in, at Southeastern University, he, he told a story one time uh, of a time when his son, who is now a full-grown man pastoring a church somewhere, but his son was just a little toddler, and, 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 his, and his son just woke up screaming in the middle of the night. I mean, I mean, have you ever been awakened by a, by a screaming baby? You know, you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the kind that just pierces your brain, you know? Well, it was so ear piercing that, that Dr. Rutland just jolted awake immediately by that scream. And he jumped up and he plunged out of bed and he started running toward his son's bedroom. But the problem was his bedroom door, Dr. Rutland's bedroom door, was standing about halfway open. You know what's coming, don't you? He took off running. He hit that door, boom, on a dead run. I mean, it just wham, opened up his forehead. Blood started spurting out. He fell on the floor. It just knocked him senseless. He was lying there on the floor with blood all over him. And his his wife just carefully carefully stepped over his body and turned on the light. And she she said, I'm going to go check on the baby now. Remember, the light switch is right here. (laughs) And she went in. 
But, you know, listen, we laugh, but isn't that like God? I mean, isn't it? I mean, if you want to jump up in the dark and start plunging around and be like that person that wants to give everybody a piece of their mind and you want to just plunging around and go plunging around and running in the dark, God will let you. He will let you. God is good. God loves you. He cares about you. You're a free moral agent. You've got a will and a mind of your own. If you want to get up in the middle of the night in the darkness and bounce off the walls, wham, 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 wham. God will let you. He will let you. But finally, you'll, you'll fall on the ground, bleeding, broken, wounded, confused, and half sensible. And you say, what in the world? And he'll just say, oh, look at this. And God will say, why don't we turn the light on and light will flood the situation. Peace restores balance, maturity, wisdom. Peace enables us to give counsel in relationships and, and relationships are strengthened because liberty always strengthens relationships. Bondage, oppression, and anxiety weaken relationships. Liberty, confidence, and quietness strengthen relationships. And they're strengthened because now I'm able to make good decisions because of the peace that, that God gives to me. What happens in the kingdom when I grow in the, in the supernatural fruit of peace? Peace. Now, now listen to me carefully on this. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. This may be the most important thing of all. Peace in the life of the believer thoroughly frustrates the enemy. It thoroughly frustrates the enemy. The one thing Satan cannot understand in the lives of saints is peace. He cannot comprehend it. See, Satan has none of the fruit of the Spirit, right? And, and, and peace, it just completely bamboozles, bamboozles, that's a new word, bamboozles him. That's the right word. In fact, you, you can see it in the agents of Satan which are operative in, around us in our lives. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone inspired by satanic, satanic presence is operating. But if you can remain engulfed in the peace of God and walk calmly and firmly, it completely frustrates the whole event. They get more and more agitated. They do more and more wild things and get crazier and crazier. I, I remember a, um, a man in the church when we were pastoring in Georgetown, he's going to be with the Lord now, but he had this one client that for whatever reason just decided he hated him. It was just a really demonic type of hate. And he was constantly uh, uh, just trying to ruin this man. And he was a great godly man. And, and, and Gene uh, just walked in peace and it just... The man, the more Gene walked in the peace of God, the crazier he got and the crazier the accusations got. Uh, there was a missionary evangelist who was working in Ghana way back in the early 1980s, which, you know, you realize that's like 40 years ago now. Does that make you feel old? Anyway, during that time, Ghana was under martial law and, uh, and it was against the law at that time to carry any extra gasoline in your car with you. You could only take what was in your tank and you could only get a gallon at a time. They were trying to restrict movement. And so this missionary was traveling from one part of the country to another part of the country and they knew they were going to need some extra gas. So, so, but you, and you couldn't count on getting gas anywhere along the way. And so they put some gas in a couple of containers and they put them in the trunk of the car and they started on their journey knowing knowing that this is the government had forbidden this, but this is the only option they had. So they hadn't gone very far at all when they, when they got stopped at a military checkpoint. And the soldiers, they were all drunk, which that's a really exciting moment when you get stopped by drunk soldiers carrying automatic weapons. You know, that's a, that's a way to make your day. And there was a woman officer in charge who, who said to them, who said uh, to order them to open their trunk. Well, they found that gasoline in the back of that car and they just went crazy. They pointed their machine guns at them and they all drew their pistols and the missionary and his companions were just standing at the side of the road with their hands behind their head. And the, this woman was screaming and yelling and the soldiers were all drunk and the missionary just, just was filled with a sense of dread and foreboding. It was a horrible situation and he, he thought they were going to machine gun them all to death and with his hands behind his head and he, he just leaned over and put his forehead on the hood of that car and he just prayed a simple prayer. He said, God of peace, help me. 
God of peace, help me. Well, the calmness of God just came over him. And he began praying in the spirit as he stood there with his hands behind his head and his, and his head uh, on the hood of that car. Well, after a minute or so, that, that woman hit the hood of that car with a swagger stick so hard that it sounded like the, like the report of a pistol. Pow! Right by his head. Well, he looked up at her and he said there were, there were demons in her eyes. She just began screaming, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the missionary just calmly said, I'm praying. And she said, well, stop it instantly. He said, ma'am, you can confiscate the gasoline. You can arrest us, but you cannot make me stop praying. And he looked at her and said, God loves you. Well, she stared at him with those soldiers surrounding them. It was just tense, tense moment. Then she started screaming, get these people out of my sight. Get them out of here. Get them out of my sight. And the drunken soldiers, they're all like, well, what are we going to do with all this gasoline? She said, load it back in their car. Get them out of here. I don't even want to see them. And those soldiers reloaded their illegal gasoline back in their trunk and sent them on their way. Peace thoroughly frustrates the enemy. Peace also empowers my prayer life. Calm prayers, resting in God will win far more answers than our most agitated, desperate cry for help. A peaceful spirit in my prayer, asking, simply asking God and resting in Him, is an act of faith that, gets, that moves the hand of God. Rest, I say, rest in the Lord. Stop your striving. Stop your... You're, you're, you're working. Stop your pleading. Just simply rest in Him, knowing that He is a God of peace, knowing that He is your Father, knowing that He knows what you need better than you know what you need. Just rest in Him. So how do I increase in peace? If I say that this is the fruit of the Spirit and I can't manufacture it, then how can I grow in this? Is it possible? If I can't increase it by myself, how can I increase it at all? Well, the, the answer is this. I can increase my peace by growing in righteousness. Righteousness brings peace. Turn to James 3.18. Now, we're just about finished, so stay with me a little bit longer. Turn to the book of James chapter 3, verse 18. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Grow in righteousness grow in peace. Walk with God in holiness. Experience the peace of God in your life. Because you know, you know why? I'm not afraid of judgment, am I? I'm not afraid if I'm, if I'm growing in righteousness and I'm not afraid that somehow I've offended God. I have peace. Grow in righteousness, grow in peace. Secondly, I can grow in peace by ending double-mindedness. Ending double-mindedness. Be absolutely fixed on Jesus. Isaiah 26.3, I mentioned it earlier, but didn't read it. It said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then James 1.8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, not some of his ways, but in all of his ways. A, a person who is not 100% fixed who has not fastened his gaze on Jesus Christ and set it there, will to one extent or another experience a lack of peace. The more fixed my gaze is on Jesus, the less double-minded I am and the more I grow in peace. If you want to, if one, it's really simple. If you want to avoid being double-minded, stop looking at the things that want to distract you and start staring in the face of Jesus. Third, I can grow in peace when I understand that God's peace is eternal peace. Nothing can steal my inner peace with God. Oh, the blessing of the saint of God who can stand with grief and fear and the storm clouds of doubt and financial problems and challenges and everything swirling around him like a whirlwind in the midst of a of confused, disoriented, panic-stricken people and say, I know my Redeemer lives. 
Job wrote in the middle of unimaginable, an unimaginable suffering. He said, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. Paul wrote from prison. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it again, rejoice. Paul also wrote in, first, in 2 Timothy, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which uh, what I have committed to him until that day. Prison can't take it from me. Threats can't take it from me. Anxiety can't take it from me. Problems can't take it from me. I know that, that my peace is fixed in God. Settle it in your minds that the peace of God is eternal peace. And then, and then finally, I can grow in peace by surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Now, now let's, let this, let's get this right down to where it is. The, the passage with, with which we began said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then it's as if the writer is saying, Well, what is the sum total of all that, 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 those things that you have said? And Jesus responds, Peace. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. In order to receive the fruit of the spirit, I must let the spirit take control. And the more I give surrender to him and the more like Christ I become, the more I walk in the peace of God. See, here's the thing. It's not about whether you have the spirit or not that's that's really not a question not that's not even a biblical question anyway it's it's about whether the spirit has you if, if he's the spirit of peace then surrendering to him is surrendering to peace being filled with the spirit and surrendering to him is the key to receiving the peace of god that passes understanding i want i want to close with with this dwight l moody great preacher he told a story about how in, in the late 1800s he had gone to visit an insane asylum in Chicago. And he told about how he came across one poor, pitiful man that just wandered the halls of this insane asylum, constantly crying out, If only I had! If only I had! If only I had! Can, can you imagine that? Day after day after day, hour after hour after hour, just wandering around the halls of that hospital crying out, if only I had. I wonder what he was lamenting. If only I had done something differently. If only I had not done something I did. If only I had something that I don't have. If only I had a relationship that isn't mine. If only I had a certain woman. If only I had children. If only I had money. If only I had someone to love me. We, we don't know what it was. What was the thing that drove him into the bowels of such desperate insanity that year after year after year he would just wander aimlessly crying the pitiful howl of frustration, if only I had, if only I had. You know, in his novel, Poor No More, Robert Ruark tells of a man who is built from nothing to be the owner of a massive textile empire. Then through lawsuits and immorality and wickedness, he loses everything. He loses everything except for a minor matter, matter of a million dollars in cash. And in the last scene of the book, the main character is seated in the first class compartment of a jet, leaving North Carolina, flying to, South, to, to California to start over. And he comforts himself in the loss of his wife and children and business and factories and all the rest by saying to himself, well... At least I have a million dollars. Now, if the book had ended there, maybe you could live with it a little bit. But the last line of the book is this. It's him saying, but if only I had a little more. But if only I had a little more. The, the cry of frustration and anxiety, the, the howl of a world that knows no peace is if only I had. If only I had a little more. If only I had a little, had a little less of that. If, if only I had something that I don't have. If only I didn't, hadn't done this. If only I, had, if, I, if only I had done that. But the voice of the Spirit-filled life lived to the fullest, maximized by the presence of the energizing life of God, says this. 
There is nothing you can add to my life that will make me any more peaceful in God than I am. And there's nothing you can take away from me that can deprive me of peace. What a life. What a life that is. That's the abundant life. That's the life of peace that says he's in me and I'm in him. And what can take that away from me? Paul says, can anything in the earth? No. Can anything above the earth? No. Can, can angels and powers and principalities and armies and life, death, any experience? Nothing. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And if I live and move and have my being in him, then what can possibly take away my peace? Charges, countercharges, accusations, losses, lawsuits, war, famine, pestilence, rumors of wars. But the, but the man with peace walks through all of these things saying, I know my Redeemer lives. It makes no difference what's going on in my life. It makes no difference what you do to me. I know my Redeemer lives. And he frustrates the devil out of the devil. He brings praise upon the Savior. He strengthens those who are around him. He ennobles relationships. Relationships. He liberates others to grow. He walks in balance and perspective and grows in maturity and holiness. He shows forth the glory of God. This is the peace that passes understanding and it is the fruit of the spirit. And I, I, I want to ask a question to you in closing today. Are you trying to manufacture a peace in your own life? Are you trying to make it work? Are you trying to make yourself calm? Or... Is there that inner confidence and peace that comes from the very life and character of the God who is the God and author and king and prince of peace? I guess the answer, the question would be more simply put this way. Have you surrendered your life to the prince of peace? Have you surrendered your life to the prince of peace? If you have, if you have, then why do you walk with, his, with this anxiety and fear? Rest. Let it go and let God rest in the Lord your God. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, then the question is, why not today? Why not today? He's here. He loves you. He never intended for you to walk in frustration and fear and doubt and loneliness and pain. Just open the door to your heart this morning. He will meet you at the, at the point of your need and He will fill your life with peace. Amen. Would you bow your head? Father, you see every heart, every life, every situation. And Lord, you know where we are and you know the, where we struggle and and Lord, there are many of us that have surrendered to the Prince of Peace. But God, we still fall back into that old pattern of struggling with anxiety and fear, with the worries of this life. And God, I know you want us to be able to live beyond those things, above those things. Doesn't mean that there are not things that can happen, but it means that we don't live in fear any longer because we know that our Redeemer lives. And that no matter what happens in this life, we belong to you. And if there's anybody here today, Pastor, you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Because I have surrendered to the Prince of Peace. But I am still struggling with worry and anxiety and fear and doubt and all of those things. And I want today to begin to learn how just to let go and let God do His work. I want to walk and live in the peace of God. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray for you? Yes. Oh, there are several hands all over the place. Yeah. You can put it back, right back down. You know, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that struggle with that. And, and, and saints have struggled with that over the centuries. So it's not... I want to be careful to let you know I don't believe you're sinning, but I just want you to know there's a better way. I want you to be filled with the peace of God that passes understanding where you, where when you begin to worry about those things, you're able to say, but you know what? My Redeemer lives. 
He's got this. I can trust Him with this. He's at work whether I see it, whether I know it, whether I feel it, whether I sense anything. He's at work, so I trust Him. And that fills your heart with peace. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor Dave, I I want you to pray for me because I've never invited the Prince of Peace into my life. I've never surrendered to Jesus. But I'd like to do that today because in surrendering to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, that's where I can find peace. You can find peace, first of all, with God, which peace literally means to be to set at one. You're at odds and He puts you in one. And if that's you and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you slip your hand up where you are? Is there anybody? Maybe you're on the live stream. You can say, pray for me. All right, let me, let me pray for those that raised their hand today. Father, you saw every person here today, God, and you saw... There are several, Lord God, who said, I have surrendered to the Prince of Peace, and yet I'm struggling with anxiety and fear and worry. And I'm asking God that in Jesus' name, that you'd fill their lives with the peace of God that passes understanding, that will guard their hearts and their minds. And that, Lord, when the enemy comes in and starts saying, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And when our mind starts going crazy, that in that moment, Lord God, that we would just say, but I've given it to Jesus. I know my Redeemer lives. I know who He is. I know He's. I know how powerful He is. I know what He can do. I know what He's done in my life already. And so I know I can trust Him. And God, that a sense of peace would begin to settle in in our lives. And that as we walk in the peace of God, that it would be a testimony to everybody around us that there is a peace that goes beyond anything this world offers and it can only be found in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would just, as we head out from this place, let us live lives in the peace of God in such a way, in in this turbulent, turbulent world, Lord God, that's just filled with anxiety filled people, that we would be an oasis of peace that points to Jesus Christ. Use us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.